0: chapter 6 as today we cover the feeding of the 5,000. Um, this is something that's covered in all four Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Luke, John, uh, Matthew 14, Luke 9, John 6. And, and the reason I mention that to you is uh, that you would know since it's covered in all four Gospels, it really shows the, the, the significance of this, how important this particular miracle is for us to know. And in looking at our section today, there are probably many ways to outline this portion, but three things that stood out to me, if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus is considerate. And so I want to encourage you to rest in him. He's considerate, rest in him. Number two, Jesus is compassionate. And so follow him. He is compassionate and follow him. And then number three, Jesus is omnipotent, all-powerful. And so I really encourage you today to trust in him. But we see, first of all, in verse 30, it says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. And so a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, you might remember we studied Mark 6, 7 through 13, when Jesus had sent out the 12 on a short-term missions trip. And the scriptures, they don't tell us how long they were gone, but here we read of their return and their report to Jesus, the debriefing, so to speak, of the disciples. And when they come back, you know, they're pumped, They're, they're excited, but they're also exhausted. Right? They're excited, they're exhausted. And so Jesus, uh, he knows that. And so what he does is he says to them, hey, you guys, let's go off by ourselves to, to a quiet place and let's rest a little while. Let's take some time away and rest from everyone, you know, from all the hustle and bustle of life. And you know, it's kind of cool. I, I don't want to skip this because I think it's very important for us, especially those of us who find ourselves busy In life, did you guys know that God is kind and considerate like that? Did you guys know that He's actually okay with us getting away and getting some rest? You know, last week, uh, Brother Mark taught and he was refreshed after, I don't know, he spent some time on a cruise, he had a vacation. You could see the smile on his face, huh? (laughs) You know, because God's okay with us getting some rest. God's okay with us uh, recuperating, you guys. I really think it's important for us to understand that. Don't misunderstand me. There is a time for work, and that's very important for us. But there's also a time for rest, for recuperation after all that work. You know, you guys probably know that even God himself modeled that truth. When he made everything, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And so you read Genesis and you realize that God made everything. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, it's kind of funny because we know God didn't get tired. I mean, he made everything just by speaking everything into existence by the power of his word. It wasn't that he needed rest per se or recuperation. It was what he wanted to do, however, was set in motion a very important truth for us in life that we need to rest. You know, for the Jews, eventually it was a seventh day for us. It might be a different day. You know, one of the things about reading the the Bible, you've got the Ten Commandments. Well, nine of those Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament. The Sabbath day isn't repeated verbatim. We don't have to honor the Sabbath day, which was for the Jews Friday night to Saturday night. But for us, it would be wise to honor some type of a Sabbath day. Uh, Romans 14, 5 through 6, it speaks of the fact that for us, it might be a Wednesday or a Tuesday or a different day. That day doesn't really matter It's a personal conviction that in all reality we can't judge others on because sometimes you'll get people knocking at your door saying, hey, you guys worship on the day of the beast. And I always tell them there is no day of the beast. Every day belongs to God, right? I mean, for us, uh, what happened when Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday that Christians chose to worship God on Sunday. And I'll be honest with you, man. We need that time to seek the Lord and to rest in him. Now, the Bible does say in Colossians 2, 16, no one is to judge us in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. And so don't let anyone impose that on you in some legalistic burden, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Don't say, well, because I'm not under that you know, portion of the law that I don't need rest. You know, Jesus knows and God knows even prior to the law setting things in motion that we need that time of rest. What we find as Jesus sees these guys, they're excited, they're exhausted, that our Lord Jesus Christ is kind and he's considerate. He knows our need to rest and he knows our need for recuperation. And so I want to encourage you guys to know this, that time off and days off are not only okay, they're vital for our healthiness. You know, one time a lady from the church, Warren Wearsby, used to pastor she approached him and she questioned him. She said, I don't get it. You know, you took a vacation. She said, How can you take a vacation? The devil doesn't take a day off. And here you are taking a vacation. And Warren Wisby said, Well, the devil doesn't have a body. <laughs> I have a body and it's starting to get all messed up. <laughs> we get excited in ministry, but we also get exhausted in ministry. And so one of the things that we need to know, and I think it's important, is that we'll actually do a better job if we get a little more rest than we're used to, especially in Southern California. For those of you who maybe have lived in different parts of the country, you know it's kind of different in some places. huh? The pace is a little slower. Here, it's crazy. And I don't know about you, but I find myself always in a hurry, even when I'm not in a hurry. You know, You're in the fast lane. Why are you in the fast lane, man? <laughs> Now, there's a story in ancient Athens about a man who noticed the Greek storyteller Aesop playing games with little boys. And so he saw him playing games and he looked down on him for doing that. And he asked him, why are you wasting your time in such frivolous activity? To which Aesop responded by picking up a bow, loosening in its string, placing it on the ground. And then he said to the critical Athenian, now answer this riddle. If you can, what does the unstrung bow imply? And so the man looked at it. He thought hard, but he had no idea what the significance of it meant. And Aesop said, if you keep a bow always bent, it's less effective. But if you let it go and loosen it from time to time, it will be more fit for use when you really need it. You see, and we're like that. You guys, people are like that. That's why we all need to take time and even make the time to rest. Start setting aside a special time to relax. Are you guys excited about that? I know I am. (laughs) And, you know, renew yourself emotionally, spiritually. Slow down a little bit. You will be at your best for the Lord if you've taken time to loosen the bow, so to speak. You know, one of my favorite authors is a guy uh, by the name of John Stott. And he's got a book, it's called The Living Church, and I read it a while back. But in the last uh, portion of the book, he has a chapter, it's called uh, Reflections of an Octogarian. An Octagonarian. And what that is, is a guy who's 80 years old or more. So he's got a lot of experience in pastoring and ministering. And uh, this is what he wrote in the book. He said, I was appointed rector of all souls at the tender age of 29. I was much too young and inexperienced for such a heavy responsibility, and very soon everything got on top of me. The urgent regularly crowded out the important, and events would overtake me for which I was unprepared. I began to suffer the characteristic clerical nightmare. I was halfway up the pulpit steps when I suddenly remembered that I had forgotten to prepare a sermon I guess that at that time, I was not far from a nervous breakdown. Then one day in the early 1950s, I attended a conference for clergy. And one of the speakers, uh, he was a son of an Oak Hill Theological College member, He he said this in his address. He recommended every pastor to take a quiet day once a month, to go away from the church and the parish to allow God to show him and draw him up into his heart and mind, to look at things from the divine perspective, to focus on the important and to adjust his priorities accordingly. This common sense advice came to me as a message from God. It was exactly what I needed to be told, and I immediately put it into practice. I returned home and went through my engagement book for the rest of the year, and I wrote Q for quiet against one day every month. Then when my Q day arrived, I would leave early for the home of friends. They would put a room at my disposal, bring me something to eat at mealtimes, and otherwise they left me alone. Only my secretary, now you've got to know John Stott wasn't married, okay, so he said only my secretary knew when I was where I was in case of an emergency, and I would get 10 to 12 hours with the Lord. I would keep for my monthly Q day everything which needed uninterrupted time. Time to look ahead for the next few weeks and months. Time to see where I was going and what had to be prepared. Time to pray over some intractable problems. Time to reflect on the policy and programs of the church. Time to draft some difficult letters. Time to stretch an outline of series or sermons. Time to write an article. And especially time to be quiet, to seek God's mind and to discern his perspective. He said this, all I can say is that the little prudential arrangement saved my life and ministry. The burden of responsibility was lifted. Although I was still challenged by the job, I was not overwhelmed by it. In fact, so valuable did my monthly Q day become that later when I was exceptionally busy, I had a Q day every two weeks and then every week. (laughs) And I I just want to, I didn't want to just run over that, you guys, because I know we could have just run over that, but I know the world that we live in. I know how you can get things so piled on your plate that you get too busy to be still and alone with God, and that is not good. Some might say, well, that's impressive how busy you are in ministry, but you have nothing to give because you have not first received. And so when the Lord saw these guys and they were excited about what he had done, he said, I see you excited, but I also see you exhausted. Come, let's you know, go and find a, a quiet, solitary place and, and rest a while. And by the way, let me just share this. This is not just for pastors. This is for parents. This is for moms with little kids, let me tell you. That's why it's so cool when you see the dad say, hey, sweetheart, you go ahead and you get some time. I've talked to moms with little kids who told me they almost backslid during that time. It can be so overwhelming. And so we, we need help, you guys. And so the first thing we see is Jesus is considerate. And so don't be, you know, ashamed to rest in him. Play a few games of Nintendo with your kids every once in a while. Uh, Number two, Jesus is compassionate, and so follow him. Notice here in verse 32. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves, but the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him, and Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now it's interesting, I mentioned the importance of recuperation, and all of us as ministers should do our best to get that rest, but at the same time, it's not always possible. Uh, We should do our best, but one thing I've discovered, and my family has also come to realize Is that when you're called by god you're always on call right and if an emergency arises someone shows up at your doorstep or you get a phone call in the middle of the night with legitimate need you wouldn't turn them away and so here's jesus and the guys they're trying to get rest They sailed to a solitary place on the other side of the lake. And for those of you, any of you here, some of you have been to Israel, right? You've seen the the Sea of Galilee, and you can visualize it. It's not that big. And so, you know, you can see the boat going across, and you could run. Actually, it's interesting. They were running. They were running to try to beat Jesus to his destination. Uh, And and Luke 9.10 tells us it was a city called Bethsaida, But as he tries to get to this solitary place, it's not very solitary in that sense. The people saw him, they run to him, and uh, in the final analysis, they didn't allow Jesus and his apostles to get their needed rest that day. And in looking at this, I don't know how you guys would feel about this, you know, I I was thinking the word or the phrase that came to my mind was invaders, you know, (laughs) I mean, here's Jesus trying to, to get away, and people are invading him, you know? Uh, other words that come to mind are words like, well, what would your response be? You want to take a nap. You want to get some... Have you ever been uh, sleepy? How many of you here, just out of curiosity, you get cranky when you get sleepy? My, my wife tells me I'm a different guy. I don't believe her. I'm, I don't remember that. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I woke you up, and you said this. I said, what? What? <laughs> You know, when you're trying to get rest, you're trying to just, you know, in one sense, you're trying to seek the Lord, you know, and then these people, these people, they come and, you know, words like frustration, agitation, maybe even a little anger, some indignation. Those are the words that come to mind, but for, for us, the key word of Christ was compassion. That's what, we, that's what we learn, huh? Notice again what it says in verse 34. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. You see, this is the God that we serve. He is considerate and kind. He wants us to get rest. And he is compassionate and caring you know, the Greek word right here, it literally means to be moved in one's bowels. You know, the culture of the day perceived the bowels to be the seed of love and pity. And so Jesus saw the people, and, and when he saw them, he just hurt inside. He was like torn up. He was moved with compassion. And you guys, I just pray that we would really know how the Lord is so that we can be like him. And it's kind of interesting. Maybe you're going to be one of those looking at the crowd that's crazy. Or maybe you're going to be part of the crowd that's crazy. But whatever side you're on, you need to know how Jesus is and how Christians should be. You know, you might be looking at the crazy crowd and, and you, what, the thing that you've got to do is you've got to see them with the eyes of Christian compassion, right? Right? I mean, Erwin Lutzer said, Christianity demands a level of caring that transcends human inclinations. This has got to come from God. You know, we need to start seeing people the way Jesus does. God help us to look, truly look through the lenses of the Lord. You know, at the men's retreat, I, I shared with the guys and say, so don't, don't, don't steal the beans, but I'll share with the guys about a lady who went to an optometrist and, uh, and she had a pair of glasses that she was returning to him. And, and he said, well, why are you returning these glasses? And she said, they don't work. And uh, the optometrist said, well, what do you mean they don't work? And she said, yeah, they don't work. I gave them to my husband, and he still doesn't see things my way. You know? <laughs> And you know, that's one thing, yeah, guys, I think we need to start looking at things uh, from the eyes of our wives, and I think vice versa. It works really in so many different directions, but how about the direction of God? I mean, when we look at people, a lot of times we don't see them with the lenses of the Lord. The question that you really need to ask yourself is how does God look at them? That's how we should see them, right? And when the Lord saw these, this crazy crowd that was invading his quiet time, he wasn't agitated or irritated, it wasn't indignation, it was compassion. And it's important for us to realize that. You know, you may have somebody in your life, it's the one who talks too much. They just keep talking and talking and talking, and there's irritation and agitation, and then separation sets in, right? You know, you start saying, I don't want to talk to them, but you've got to know it's usually the one who has no one to talk to at home. They're all alone in life. Imagine that. I mean, not always, but sometimes they talk and they talk and they talk, and the reality of is, as you watch them talk and talk and talk, is no one's really listening that's what you got to see you got to look deeper the one we label as an alcoholic or drug addict and we we're like ooh, they have cooties you know they can be seen you got to see them the way the lord sees them literally with chains on their soul they're in bondage to those addictions while at the same time they're running from the Pain of the past when they were maybe just a little boy or a little girl and something happened to them that they still are experiencing the pain of that they were rejected or they were neglected by their parents or loved ones they simply can't bear being themselves and so they search for those substances because they're dying inside do you care? oh, they're a drug addict, or they're a drunk, oh, yeah, I don't want them around me. You know, the girl who was sexually active before marriage, provocative, low-cut top, short skirts, tight clothes, a lot of times that girl was never taught or because of the hypocrisy of her parents has never caught the love that God has for her. And so we need to be careful that we don't see people with just the eyes of human limitations. No, we need God to do the work. Don't misunderstand me, you guys. I'm not excusing any sin. I, I, I'm not saying that it's okay to, to do this or that. But I think before we label people or, or run or, or stay away from them, we need to have The eyes of the Lord and see them the way that he sees them. Look deeper. Try looking deeper than you have been. Looking. And what you will will find is that the love of God will find a home in your heart. It starts with a tear, they say, is the dew of compassion. Have you cried for them? Or have you just Judged them, You know, Jesus saw the multitude for who they really were. He knew what was really wrong with them. They were like sheep, it says, not having a shepherd. And you guys know, I mean, you think about it for a second. What would a sheep do without a shepherd? I mean, and we've talked about this, right? This is proof that evolution is impossible, man, because sheep would never survive without a shepherd. Okay, have you ever seen a sheep run? They don't run very fast. Have you ever seen them bite? They don't bite. They don't, have, they don't have claws. They have absolutely no way of defending themselves. You guys know the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. They, they wouldn't know where to eat. They wouldn't know where to go. A sheep without a shepherd has no direction, has no protection. That's what all these people are that we tend to judge. They need Jesus. They need the Lord. You know, they were absolutely lost and completely vulnerable to the wolves of the world, which meant they had no direction, no protection. They were mixed up. They were messed up, and they were beat up. Have you ever known someone who got beat up I knew people, and it was a sad thing, that used to get beat up, literally, physically beat up, all the time. All the time, my heart would go out to them. They would get drunk, they would get beat up, again, and again, and again. That's who those people are. They are sheep without a shepherd. You know, and so the Lord... When he saw them, he teaches us what's really going on. And we need to have that heart, you guys. It's interesting. Moses, back in the Old Testament, he had the same heart that Jesus had when it was revealed to him that he would no longer enter the promised land. He asked God about that situation. He said, Well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna go home. What about the people? And it was interesting, a burden upon him in Numbers 27 and 15, then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord and the God of the spirits of all flesh set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like a sheep that have no shepherd. I mean, that's how important this is. We need that shepherd, and that shepherd is Jesus. And, you know, praise God, he puts others that would be considered under-shepherds in our life. And all of us here, we have elements of leadership that together we follow Christ. You know, Jesus saw this need. And so what did he do? What did he do? They were sheep without a shepherd. What did he do? The Bible says right there in verse 34, so he began to teach them Many things. He began to teach them many things. You know, that's what we do. That's what they need. The people out there in the world, you know what they're living in? They're living in a land of lies. What do they need? They need the truth. That's what they need. So Jesus began to teach them the word of God. Luke tells us that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and Luke also tells us that he healed them. I don't want to imagine that's physical healing, it's emotional healing, it's spiritual healing. I mean, it was probably a long series of Bible studies. All day long, we're going to read this, you know, because it went all the way into the evening. You know, similar to what we read this last Thursday in Ezra chapter 8 where they heard the word of God for hours and hours and hours how desperately we need the word of God. We need the truth of God because we're living in a land that is filled and flooded with the lies of the enemy. You know, spiritually speaking, sheep need shepherds who will love them and lead them and feed them God's word. And that's why when you come to Calvary Chapel, one of the things you're going to find is that whatever the studies are, the men, the women, we do our best to teach you the Bible. Because we're sheep that need direction. We're sheep that need protection. And God gives us that by giving us the truth. And once that truth finds a home in our heart, the Bible says that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now that young girl who's provocative, she can save herself for marriage, or that young guy in addiction to drugs or alcohol, he even finds he doesn't need that anymore because he has affirmation from his heavenly father. All that comes as we learn the word of God. You know, spiritually speaking, sheep need shepherds because we're living in a land where there are many wolves. There's a lot of false teachers out there. Guys that claim to be Christians and they're not. You know, it's an interesting passage in the book of Zechariah, chapter 10, in verse 2. It says, For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. But Ephesians 4:11 and forward it says that he himself Jesus gave some to be gifts to the church and he gave prophets and pastor teachers and evangelists and what God does is God then takes his beautiful sheep that are the most precious commodity on planet earth and he leads them as he feeds them in life. And so, you know, the Lord had compassion on them and he took care of them spiritually And then he's going to take care of them physically. We see Jesus is considerate. Jesus is compassionate. And then we see next that Jesus is omnipotent. Look what we read in verse 35. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets, notice, full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Wow, imagine that, you guys. I know you've heard it a million times, but just, man, think about this. 5,000 men plus women plus children. Okay, most churches, they have more ladies than guys, right? And, you know, we got a whole bunch of kids, especially back then, right? And we're talking, you know, 15, 20,000 people fed with five little pieces of bread and two little fishes. And so now Matthew tells us it's the evening, and Luke tells us that all 12 came to Jesus, which meant that they were talking amongst themselves about this, right? And, and, you know, I don't know if if you guys ever thought about this, but, you know, do you think they really cared about the people? Maybe they did. I'm not sure about these guys at this point in the ministry, to be honest with you. Uh, But I do know this. They want Jesus to send everybody away. Send them away. Uh, Luke tells us that they also needed lodging. It was a very solitary place, right? They needed food. They they needed lodging. It's kind of like us. At the end of a Thursday night service, uh, every once in a while, we'll flicker the the lights, you know, just kind of say, okay, time to go home, you know. (laughs) Send them away, right? And we got to be really careful with that. This whole section right here is important for us when it comes to ministry, Right? And anyways, uh, when we look at this, it's interesting. This is where ministry gets very, very personal. I mean, this wouldn't be normally practical, but what we find is that Jesus wants to do a miracle right now. And so for us in ministry, you know, usually we just kind of do things. Uh, we're led with wisdom and we use our practical senses and you know, we wouldn't you know, necessarily you know, step out and do something crazy. Unless Christ told us to. And that's kind of what's going on here. You know, they're thinking very practical and logical, and Jesus says, that's cool, but I want to do a miracle right here, right? And so for us, when we face ministry and we go through life, we got to come to Him, which is acknowledging the need. And then what we got to do is we got to bring to Him what we do have. Jesus, I don't, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's not that He necessarily needed that. But he's teaching us something here. Well, what do you have? And so it's interesting. I think it was Andrew who brought the little, it was a little dad. Poor little guy, man. Hey, can we have your food? (laughs) And so, you know, five barley loaves, a couple of fish, he gives it to Jesus. But think about that. How important that is as we come to him and we bring to him what we do have. and And then what we do is we obey him. Okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to tell everybody to sit down on the grass. And it's interesting how the other gospels tells us it was green because our shepherd always leads us to lay down in the still waters and the green pastures, right? And so, you know, they obey him. They all sit down in ranks. And what ends up happening is Jesus takes that bread and, and he lifts it up and he blesses it. He thanks his father for it. He breaks it. And then little by little, Jesus does the rest. And he multiplies this meal so that he's able to feed 15, 20,000 people. How many of you here like bread? Just out of curiosity. You're in trouble. You're like me. I love bread. How about fish? You like fish? Yeah, it's good stuff. I know I try to eat it on Saturday because I need brain food. I'm telling you, man. Can you imagine how good these fish tacos were? Oh, my gosh. The Lord made them. They're probably not tacos. they would be more tortas, huh? But man, I'm just thinking, how good was that bread coming out of the oven of the omnipotent God? I mean, the fish, talk about season just right, the flavor, everything. And you know, when people eat, you know, have you ever been to a potluck where they didn't have enough food? It's kind of a bummer. You're like, oh, man, nothing left. All right, I guess I'll have some fruit. (laughs) We normally don't experience that here at Calvary Chapel, but there have been a few times where you've gone and you're disappointed. Man, this is one where you just were stuffed. The, The Greek word just talks about you were full. And not only that, there were 12 baskets, big baskets, left over that were filled. And Jesus said, gather up the fragments, which is another real quick side lesson. We don't throw away leftovers. We don't waste anything, because this is from God, right? And so, but, but at the end of the day, what's the, the big message? That, that with God, you know, nothing's impossible. That we, he is omnipotent. He is almighty. He is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, man. And as you come to him, and you bring to him the needs, and as you obey him... And you sit down and you distribute and you do whatever it is he tells you to do, that you will watch him do wonders. Right? And he will provide for us. And one guy said this, The more we depend on God, the more dependable we find that he is. But if all you're doing is just what you can do, then you're not really depending on, on Him. You're depending on yourself. You're flexing your own muscles, and you're not letting God flex His. And that's why we've got to step out on, on faith. Another person said, all I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. I want to encourage you guys as we close today you know, to, to go to Him, Lord, here's the need, I don't know what to do, and he might be something practical that God will tell you. It might be a miracle that God wants you to get involved in, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Everything's from Him, and, and you have to trust Him. That's the type of life that we should live. We should live a life of dependence upon Him, not independent from Him in any way. You know, I was reading a story by Tony Evans, and he said this, What we need today is a generation of Christians who will have the guts to believe that following God has pleasure and it's not a boring life. He said there's a story of a kite that was flying, and the kite began to talk to itself. And the kite said, If only I could get rid of this string. If the string wasn't holding me back, then I could fly. As high as I wanted to fly, I could get rid of this string and there would be nothing holding me back. I'm, I'm limited by this string. So one day the kite got its wish and the string broke and the kite came crashing down. You see, what the kite did not realize was that same string that kept it down also kept it up. You see, cutting the string did not make it freer. You know, we will always head toward disaster when we cut the string of dependence on God in search of other things to depend on. The same string that seems to hold you down also keeps you flying. And so God wants us to trust him and let him hold the string. Staying connected to him keeps us from falling. And there's that certain balance of of dependence upon him, not independent from him. You know, yeah, there are certain limitations, but look what happens when you trust the Lord, you fly, you fly. Sometimes I'm in my prayer closet and I pinch myself. I can't believe the life that I have been allowed to live up to this point. And then I realize that this is just the beginning of what God wants to do in and through our lives. You guys, we serve an omnipotent God, all-powerful, able to do anything, exceedingly abundantly above whatever we would ask or think. And so I, I pray that we would know this Jesus who we love. He is considerate, he is compassionate, and he is omnipotent. Trust Him for direction and protection. Trust Him for food and lodging. Trust Him for every physical need your body will ever have. Uh, he will never let you down. But I want to encourage you to trust Him, especially for the spiritual needs of your soul. And let's close over in Matthew 16. You guys thought it was done, huh? you like... <laughs> Matthew 16, because the Lord was teaching them. And this is what he says in verse 6. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have taken no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, Why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Uh, Later we're going to see he feeds another 4,000 verse 10. No, the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And here's the thing, in closing, kind of wrapping it all up, tying it up in a nice little knot with a bow and all that kind of stuff, is that number one, um, God has proven to you that he will always provide for you. You guys are still here because you've been fed how many times? I I calculated. For me, it's 55,000 times. (laughs) So guess what? He will always feed me. He will always take care of me. He will always lodge me. You learn the lessons regarding the future because of his faithfulness in the past. But but here the Lord is saying to them, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you know what they were? They were those guys who were the religious legalists who were placing heavy burdens on the people, misrepresenting God to them. You know, they were the ones that were saying God is, is a, he's a mean God and you have to do all these rules and regulations in order to establish a relationship with him. And what we find, you guys, is that's not the God of the Bible. Today in closing, I pray that you would know that Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is considerate. He's okay with us getting some rest. As a matter of fact, if you read Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, this is what he wants us to do. He wants us to rest in him. That's what he wants. Right? The cross, the blood, where he died for our sins. I pray that would encourage you. I pray you would rest in that. And then that, that you know, then as you get your rest, don't 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 rest for too long, okay? <laughs> you take your nap. How many of you here take 20-minute power naps? Just out of curiosity. How many of you here take two-hour power naps? <laughs> That's too long, okay? <laughs> 20 minutes, and then boom, you're good to go. That's the way it works for us, right? We rest in Christ because he saved us, but we work for Christ because he wants to save others. Amen?